countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! And it is now time for the last of the comic shops! It's all about the Eisner Awards, or well, it's not really about the Eisner no, because nobody, nobody agreed to talk for 45 to 50 minutes about Gary Trudeau. And so I am boycotting, boycotting, I say, even though we're opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way underneath this giant comic book Doonesbury of ours. We're keeping the lights on for the oldies that might know who Gary Trudeau or what a Doonesbury is. Is he the feather or is that Dan Quayle? Dan Quayle Dan was the Quayle's feather. the feather. And who was the guy with the big long nose? Like, I don't know. There was a guy that like his nose was a mile wide. He wore glasses. Larry King. <laughs> he wore suspenders too. He looked like the dude from Office Space. That's you're describing Larry King. <laughs> the old late night guy. It's not Larry King. Any case, I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I try to be Larry King. I try to put on an interesting podcast for all of you folks to listen to, but I'm stuck with these guys. Jay Scott and Chad Smith, my loyal co-hosts. I still want to know, what's a Doonesbury? Is it like a <laughs> it's, Schnozberry? It's the dude's last name, Mike Doonesbury, the main character. That's okay. the guy with the glasses and the nose. All Larry right, King. <laughs> Larry, <not> Larry King. <laughs> All right. Well, any case, yes. Today on today's program, we were going to talk about the Eisner winners, but simply put, we've already had that stuff out on our Twitter page. So if you've checked our Twitter page the last couple of weeks, it's already done. Like it's it's not a deal anymore. Like people won. Go out to our Twitter at Last Comic Shop. You can see uh, our coverage of everybody that won those awards in the last couple of days but what i did want to do is because some folks kind of commented on this after i had started shaking my fist at clouds is talk about those folks that were the judges choices for the eisner hall of fame right because unlike some of the voter choices what happened was that they moved this particular portion of the Eisners, this Eisner Hall of Fame judges thing, to earlier in the morning. Like, it wasn't even part of the Eisner Award ceremony. It was like a separate ceremony, and they said they did that to get fans there, but at the time, nobody freaking covered it. Which I was just like... It's it's essentially like the Governor's Ball. It's become the... This is now the Governor's Ball for the Oscars, right? Where they give out all the technical awards, and, and there's only actually two awards that are come with a trophy. Everything else comes with, like, a plaque or or a plate or, like, a certificate. You yeah, you get a, a nice letter you can frame. But that's what it felt like to me. And I felt like that was giving the short shrift to some of these folks that really, truly, you know, should have been, I don't know, treated better. I mean, half the list is, like, unfortunately deceased already which yes i mean that brings up the whole idea of who are these awards for are they for the people that they're giving them to okay maybe if you're gary trudeau or brian boland jerry conway you know you're alive you can accept it it means something but for most of these other people they've passed away some of them decades ago these awards are not for them. These awards are for us to make us feel better about not giving them an award before. <laughs> wow. Somebody just watched Oppenheimer. Jeez. There you go. Well, what did you think, Chad? What do you think of like the whole notion of them moving this and then nobody covered it? And Well, I watched Barbie instead of Oppenheimer. And all I can say is it's complicated. There's a lot of different expectations that people have that women should do this and not do that, and they should do this and they should not do that. And then poor Ken is out there, and Ken is frustrated because nobody notices Ken. He's just Ken, but he's Ken. Now, we're not getting on this tangent. We are going to give these folks some credit. So on today's program, you can tune out if you want to, but we are going to talk real quickly about the judges' choices for the Eisner Hall of Fame. Because, again... A lot of folks don't even know anybody on this list. I think it's our, our, our opportunity to do some edu- edumacation 
with those listeners out there uh, that because uh, I know some of the, the names on this list, not just Gary Trudeau because he won a Pulitzer. Damn it. <laughs> so let's go ahead through the list a little bit and uh, we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of talk about it. Uh, so the first person on the list was uh, Jerry Bales. I knew him, uh, you know, at least from comic book history as being the guy that started Alter Ego, which eventually Roy Thomas worked for and basically got Roy Thomas to get his job eventually at Marvel because, like, he was writing for that fanzine and he was sending that fanzine out to um, – Mort Weisinger and, and, and Julie Schwartz at DC, and then he was sending it to Stan at Marvel, and eventually he got hired. So, like, if you didn't have Alter Ego, which is still going on, by the way, you wouldn't have Roy Thomas, who just gave us everything when it came to Marvel. Just tons of stuff. I, I don't know how you could be the father of comic book fandom, honestly, but, like, if it hadn't been for Jerry Bales creating these like fanzines around comic books, we would we wouldn't have a job because that's what we do with this silly podcast of ours. So next up, we've got a Filipino comic book artist, Tony Dezuniga. Yeah, he really paved the way for a lot of Filipino artists in the early 70s to start coming over, um, whether you're talking about Alfredo Alcala or Ernie Chan or Wils Protasio, uh, just to name a few. If you need to know anything about Tony, he co-created Jonah Hex. That says it in itself. Like, Jonah Hex, that's that's one of the most important comic book cowboys out there. So, kudos to you, Tony. Up next is Justin Green, another one of those underground artists in the 1970s. Put together a, a bunch of books, such as Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary and... Uh, Bijou Funnies and Insect Fear and a bunch of other ones. As somebody that's now started to really get into underground comics, like I'm always seeking out those that were working in that medium in the 1970s because they were really pushing the boundaries of what you could do with comics. Although I don't know much about Justin Green, uh, I'll be definitely checking out his work now that he's been inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, So next up we had uh, Jay Jackson was an African-American artist who spent many years working for the Chicago Defender, in addition to working as an illustrator for science fiction magazines such as Amazing Stories and Fantastic Adventures. He introduced the world to the first black superhero, Bungleton Green. So a very important man in terms of civil rights history and comic books. And another one that I think Eisner's are trying to give uh, – credit to to show you know these are some comics that probably a lot of the the bulk of the comic reading country doesn't know about maybe as much so i like that it's this is being highlighted because it's groundbreaking work yeah absolutely it's kind of like a couple years ago when they inducted uh, matt baker into the eisner hall of fame like uh, a lot of folks didn't know about matt baker and how then that wonderful art that he had in the golden age Kudos to the Eisner Hall of Fame for inducting another. And I've seen some of that work on Bunkleton Green. It's good stuff. So you should check that out. Um, I was going to say, too, before we get on to the next one, that's one of the great parts about the whole Eisner milieu is that they're they're teaching us, they're exposing fans, people like myself that, uh, you know, I've been reading comic books for 40 years, and there's so much history that I've yet to uh, be exposed to. And so I hadn't heard of Bungleton Green or... Have I read any of the 70s underground comics we were talking about earlier? And so uh, it really is nice to have these things highlighted as like as, as just a reminder. Like there's so much out there. We think, you know, you're, you see the same things on the shelves week after week at your local comic shop. There's a whole history to explore. Next up on the list is Wint Mortimer. Best thing that I can say about Wint Mortimer is the fact that he drew all of the Spidey Super Stories. Yes. And if you've ever read the Spidey Super Stories like I did, it's awesome. So I, I would put him in the Heisner Hall of Fame for the fact that he did Spidey Super. I mean, he did other things, honestly, but like Star Jaws. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not the Thanos copter? No, no, Star Jaws. Uh, Doctor Doom built Death Star with a big mouth on it and then fights li- uh, Spider-Man with lightsabers. Up next on the list is Gaspar Saladino. 
a letterer and a logo designer who's responsible for a ton of those logos that you're you're gonna know from DC Comics and Marvel Comics, things like uh, Swamp Thing and Vigilante and a bunch of others. Jay, help me out. What are some of the other uh, logos? Some Adam Strange, designed? House of Mystery, House of Secrets, and then for Marvel, he did uh, he updated the Avengers, Sergeant Fury, and his Howling Commandos. Captain America and Falcon. I know him best from uh, the interiors on the 1970s Swamp Thing. So again, before the Alan Moore stuff, like when you were talking about the Len Wein and, and Bernie Wrightson, anytime you would see like the drippy letters, like that looked like they were just coming out of the swamp and all gross and goopy, like that was all him. Like they, so that's kind of cool. We don't we don't talk enough about letters. So kudos to Gaspar for getting a, a nod here. And the final one on the uh, list of uh, deceased inductees was Mort Walker, which I, I think I kind of like is I don't want to say saving the best for last, but it's definitely the person that I think most people on the street would recognize Mort Walker's work, uh, just simply because he was the guy that developed Beetle Bailey. Well, didn't Beetle Bailey spit out of High and Lois? No, yeah, no, Beetle Bailey was first. High and Lois spun out of Beetle Bailey. Well, regardless, uh, Beetle Bailey was, I think, Lois's brother. I think he's the uncle of the kids in High and Lois. It's funny, though, because Beetle Bailey didn't start off as a military car- or a comic strip. Like, Beetle Bailey was originally a college student for the first year. Then he got drafted into the Army, and then they introduced Sarge. And like Sarge's dog, and then it went from there. But I'm just glad, whether it's Mort Walker, whether it's Gary Trudeau, I'm just glad that they're including folks that did comic strips. Because honestly, like, even today, I feel like comic strips are the way that some folks get into comics, right? Like, even that, uh, I don't know, the one with the aliens. What is that one? Uh, Range Planet. There you go. Like, that's a way that people still get into comic books because they're looking at those those strips online and they're like, oh, those are funny. And then the next thing that they know, they're 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 picking up other comics or 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 at least other web comics for sure. So kudos to them giving credit to to comic strip folks, because I think it's important. Yeah, the last four inductees were all living. Um, the first one is Bill Griffin. He he did Zippy the Pinhead. Was that a comic uh, next, strip or was that an underground, like, R. Crummy? It was kind of like R. Crummy, but then it eventually was a strip. Like, it was definitely a strip for a while. And that's why, okay. uh, again, I, I'm glad that, like, strip folks are included in the Eisner Hall of Fame. Because strips are important. They're, they're no different than the books. So, meh. Uh, then there's Gary Trudeau, and he did Doonesbury, won a Pulitzer. I didn't know that Doonesbury had an animated short film and a Broadway musical. <laughs> did you know that, Jay? Yeah, I did not. Great. I did not know that there was a Broadway musical. I have to find the... <laughs> um, so I, I want to know, what year did Doonesbury win the Pulitzer? It won the Pulitzer in uh, 1975. Kudos to you, Gary. I, I guess I, I I can't be snarky anymore when we mention your name. Uh, <laughs> the, the next up is uh, Jack Katz, who uh, was born way back in 1927. He's actually one of the ones that I know the best on this entire list. Because not only did he work doing Bullet Man in The Golden Age, which is one of the... Other Fawcett characters that folks don't know about, like everybody knows about Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. and Mary Marvel. But Bullet Man was also a really important character uh, in Fawcett's, you know, collection of heroes. And he's even in that uh, Shazam Convergence story that I love so much done by Jeff Parker with the awesome Doc Shaner art. Like Bullet Man's all through that and Bullet Girl. He's one of the first public domain like characters that I can recall seeing. Like there was a version of Bullet Man that showed up in G.I. Joe. There's a version of Bullet Man that showed up on the tick. That guy's everywhere. And, and I mean, he influenced so many characters. I mean, you look at Bullet Man and then you look later on at like the Rocketeer, pretty much the same character, honestly. 
later on, Jack Katz went and worked for DC and Marvel. But the thing that I know him best of is something that I just recently discovered just this year was his first Kingdom project, which was like for the time in the 1970s. Like he really, you know, expanded what you could do with comic books and spent 12 years working on this like independent comic book, taking a post-apocalyptic society uh, from like the early days when they were just cavemen fighting with dinosaurs all the way through all these different ages, this massive, massive story, which at the yeah, time... It sounds epic. It, it's like man's migration into space, the ensuing galactic battles, and the great mystery of mankind's origin before the fall of civilization. And, 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 and they are so intricate. If you read one of his pages, it's like, I don't know, like... 16 or 17 boxes all on the same page and all of it is like small type and yes it's sometimes difficult to read but just the amount of world building that this guy did with that first king series it's impressive i think at the time that it was coming out uh even will eisner who this wonderful award is named after was like people should be reading jack katz's stuff so I'm glad that he got the award, to your point, J.A., before he was no longer with us, because he definitely deserved it, not to say anybody else. And finally, we've got Yana Wood, originally married to a very well-known comic book artist in Wallywood, and then went on to do extensive work as a comic book colorist. And she was one of the main colorists for so many iconic series is especially during the grant morrison era such as like all of that work on grant morrison's animal man and camelot 3000 and that unique look of all of the alan moore issues of swamp thing like when you look at the anatomy lesson and all of that that's her colors uh she won the shazam award for best colorist in 1971 and 74 and that was when she was at dc really doing i mean the bulk of the covers for all of dc comics at that time so yeah that's our list of the uh folks that were inducted into the hall of fame the judges choices hopefully you learned something from today's history lesson in any case after these commercial breaks uh we're gonna have an interview with Tom Pyre, who is the current editor-in-chief over at Ahoy Comics. He's going to be talking about not only their upcoming five-year anniversary, but he'll also be talking about his work on The Wrong Earth. So stay tuned for that. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Welcome to the Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the username at Caption Life. You'll get a new episode from us every week, so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and we are talking with Tom Pryor! Hey, hey, Tom! Did you have an R in there? It's Pryor, not Pryor. I said Pryor. I heard Richard Pryor. <laughs> That's because you got Silver Streak on the brain. I, I know. It is a good movie, but... Hi, Tom. Well, thanks for dropping by the last comic shop. Um, we're huge fans of your work, whether it was, you know, previously with DC and Marvel or now with just being the editor in chief of Ahoy Comics. 
I mean, we've loved so many books that Ahoy has put out over the last five years. And so having you on the show is just a tremendous honor, sir. So thank you well, so much. Thank for you. Being. So thank you. I just I'm a huge fan of the way you just shouted my name. I felt <laughs> I felt like a very exciting person when you did that. Yeah, well, I try to give folks the Kermit the Frog treatment once in a while, you know. <laughs> I think I think you 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 do that. So, uh, Tom, one of the questions we often like to ask folks that stop by the last comic shop is, uh, you as a comic book fan, it's an opportunity for some of our listeners that have been comic book fans either for just a few weeks or for a long, long time to hear about like what was the first comic book you remember getting? It's Superman Volume One, Number One Forty. <laughs> And okay. it's a story called The Son of Bizarro, a thrilling three-part novel written by, I think it was Jerry Siegel, drawn by Wayne Boren. And okay. it was just the most, I mean, it just takes your heart and squeezes all the blood out of it. Oh, It man. is an extremely heavy and moving story that has to do with um, issues of child custody and suicide. I mean, it's, and I'm six years old. Right. Oh, wow. And That's uh, it's, you it's just that bizarro. It is the heaviest story I have. Re- I had read to that point, and maybe to this point. Wow! Because when I ask, often ask this question to folks, like that first comic book, the thing that like kind of catapulted them on this lifelong journey of being a comic book fan, it really oftentimes does mean quite a lot. And it seems like this one definitely did. I have not read. I have not read this particular issue, but now I will have to go and pick it up. Oh, uh, you'll have to. This glowing is is Wayne your your favorite your iconic Superman artist or he's just- one of them. I mean, he was in early. He was the first one I saw. So, he, uh, but also Kurt Swan was doing even in, even when he was drawing the book. Kurt Swan was doing these beautiful covers that not only got me interested in Superman but got me interested in drawing. I would just lay on my stomach on the floor and just like copy his covers over and over. Wow. That's awesome. So as a comic creator, have you always uh, wanted to be a writer? Did you want to be an artist too? Or what, what got you into that mode? I think I wanted to be an artist, but it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it takes so much more time. So I, I took like the this easy too route. too much work, please. I just, I took the easy bottom feeding lazy route and became a writer. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would go that far because you eventually ended up becoming a publisher. And you have to deal with all the all the day-to-day stuff going on. So that can't be the easy route for sure. Right. Well, editor, I mean, we do have a publisher who's like a different guy, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah it's a small company and uh, I find myself doing things I haven't done before. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking, I guess, of being a, a writer and an editor, um, one of the questions I had is, because again, you've, you've done a lot of both. Is there one that you prefer then the other, like, would you, do you prefer editing other people's work or do you? I like, like I like the variety of having both in my life. Oh, okay. like I didn't, I didn't, um, there was a long, long stretch where I was not at all an editor in any sense of the word. I was just writing and that was great. But I do like the, the idea of feeling some, uh, just being part of something bigger than just my own stories. Right. Right. And your, your credits run the gamut from, you know, Spider-Man to Justice Society to Batman 66. And all that. Our Man. Ah, I, I like to run on Our Man. Where he was Thanks. the android from the future and the snapper car and all that. That was, that was good stuff. That was the first time I felt like I might know what I'm doing. <laughs> How did that idea come about, by the way? Um, oh, it was again, all Grant. Grant Morrison. He came up with a uh, with that character for Justice League, and, and it was I think it was Grant's idea that I write a series of it. And he sent me an email that was like a paragraph long that had some of the ideas for a setup that I ended up using. Okay, it was just a great gift from him that book. Oh yeah, he's an idea machine, Grant Morrison. Right? Yes, he is. Yes, <laughs> he is, and he was a very generous one in my yeah. case. Yeah. He was kind of like, I have this idea, but I don't have time to write it. You write it, Tom. Or he just saw me just sitting there like a lump (laughs) and said, I'm going to come up with something for Tom to do. Oh, that's nice of him. I think that's my theory anyway. (laughs) So, yeah, in in terms of being the editor-in-chief at Ahoy, another question that I had is um, I've always found the the title of editor-in-chief to be like, 
I don't know how to explain it. Like, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s and I was reading Marvel comics, the editor-in-chief was Jim Shooter, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Jim Shooter, was his name was in everything. He steered that company into a lot of great stuff. And I always... I don't put him on a pedestal because I thought he had like he was he was not only, you know, writing his own books. He was creating this massive universe out there. Do you feel like that same that same feeling at Ahoy? Like, no, no, not at all. Not at all. I chose I chose I got to choose my title and I chose editor in chief only because of Perry White. Oh, (laughs) great Caesar's ghost. Um, We've we've had other people edit our books and. um I try not to interfere with them very much. Oh, okay. Let's I don't want, I like to have creative people on board uh, who are doing what they want to do and not being told all the time what to do. And that is a hallmark of Ahoy Comics. You guys get some of the best creators coming through to to, to write and draw these books. And so I, I'm curious, like the whole Ahoy mentality with uh, the extra text pages, you know, the prose and the, and the poetry and all that stuff and how sometimes those will show up in the individual issues, but not in the collected editions. What's some of the thought process behind that stuff? Like what, what inspired you guys to go that route? When I was a kid, I could always tell the difference between a generous package and a stingy package. As the package got stingier and stingier, I would resent it. So <laughs> I always felt like we need to just give something extra. Also, you know, I mean, we were looking around for things to do and, and I don't know if you know this, but the reason we had letter pages is because publishers could save a lot of money by including text in a comic book. They were then considered a legitimate magazine if it had text in it. So it would get right for the uh, reduced the postal rates. Mail you know, classifications, yeah. Right. Back when people like subscribed through the mail. And before they thought of letter columns, they used to have stories, prose stories in them. Right. Yeah. In fact, Stan Lee's first job was a Captain America prose story. And I, uh, these stories were written as fast as possible for as little pay as possible. <laughs> Is that still and the Ahoy? I have seen, <laughs> no, that's well, I, I've seen I've, I've seen a million of them and I don't think I ever finished one. Yeah. So the thinking for Ahoy was we were looking at this and we thought, what if these were good? <laughs> So that's the experiment. Can you do this and, and have it be good? And I think we do. But right. I, but the other thing about those those prose features in the back of our books is is if you're going to pay for a comic book, you know it ain't ten cents no more, or a quarter, or fifty cents. We want you for your whole lunch hour. We don't want okay. you to just, like read it in five minutes and you know not have anything to do. No, it's true. There are some comic books I'll pick up, and if and I'll I'll, t- I'll be able to say whether it was a good or a bad one, whether or not I finish it on the john. Like if I'm like, yeah. boy, that that took me three minutes to read because mostly it was splash pages and not really there wasn't, a, and it just continues in the next thing. I'm like, well, that was I don't know if that was worth my money, honestly. Yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah. rather it be something with a little more substantial. And to your to your point, I actually didn't know. That that's why they included those prose things in those golden age covers. I'll, I'll get those yeah. collections sometimes in like omnibuses and they'll have those. And you're right. I skip over them because I'm like, they're not very well written. Oh, and uh, it was just because of the poster, right? The same reason that they eventually, wow. I, I yeah, that, that see you're teaching me there, Tom. And it, I think that was, I mean, it had to be the original letter pages too. That's just another way. Oh, we can fill this page for free. There you go. And it's definitely additive. I've never, uh, you know, felt shortchanged from an Ahoy book. And uh, for me personally, I'm a big Mark Russell fan. So when he came over with uh, Second Coming, I I hopped over and started reading some Ahoy books. I read uh, Hashtag Danger whenever that was coming out, The Wrong Earth. Thanks. Um, All those books. And and they're all great. They're all really substantial, too. And I like your your philosophy there of, you know, having that extra value. Outside of your own work, is there anything that Ahoy has published – that you look at and say, I was really, uh, you feel really great about giving that a platform. Oh, I, I have to say all of it. I mean, that's a mealy answer, but yeah, it, it wouldn't be there if we didn't love it. You know, right. you guys seem to pick up the slack from Vertigo whenever Vertigo changed to the black label and stopped doing right. Right. Stuff well, I used to, that, man. I, I worked at Vertigo. So, yeah. uh, and that's where I learned everything that I know working for Karen Berger. And, right. Uh, 
Because you did what? You did Sandman work. You did uh, what? Shade the Changing Man, didn't you? Do yeah, that? that's right. That's yeah. right. I was Which, the assistant editor on those and Hellblazer, and I was then I got to be the uh, editor of my then favorite comic book, Doom Patrol. Oh yes, and yeah. um, it, and I got to share an office with Karen for a year, and and that is when you really learn. That was like four years in college because I could wow. see how she dealt with. You know, uh, artists and writers. I was right there for it. I could how she would deal with various problems that came up, and I just learned. She was so terrific, and I learned so much. Do you do you recall like a particular interaction that you thought you you just marvelled at how Karen had handled that? You don't have to name any names of what who happened with, but no, it's really just more like a an endless haze of competence. Well, yeah, Karen Berg is definitely great. The, like the quality of stuff that Vertigo was able to to put out, you know, month after month for years, unbelievable, just astounding. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. I mean, she inherited Swamp Thing, right? And then with with Hellblazer, she turned it into a line. I mean, it went from being one comic book to like the foundation of something huge, right? With book, books of magic and and all those great books at that time. Yeah. It was a fertile time. One of our, our frequent guests, Mikey Wood, that's his absolute favorite comic book universe is that Vertigo line. But speaking of comic book universes, um, Ahoy has a great one that starts it off with one of your books that you wrote, which is Wrong Earth. I wanted to talk about that one because I'm a huge fan of that book. I thought it was marvelous when I first read it. And I reread it right before this this interview. And uh, where did the idea to do like pretty much like the Adam West Batman and like the the dark and gritty Batman swapping places and being in, in different universes. Like, where did that all come from? Well, first of all, I'm not familiar with this Batman. You feel beautiful. <laughs> but uh, where it came from was having read comic books for a very long time. And when I was younger, they uh, all the superheroes were like sort of flag saluting Boy Scouts. And not just Batman, but all of them. And um, at a certain point, a, a switch got flicked and they all became like vengeance-seeking badasses. Right. And, uh, which is a very different thing. So you could look at, I was thinking about how you could look at a, a superhero chess symbol in a certain part of history and it all means one set of values. And you can look at the same symbol 20 years later and it means an entirely different set of values. On that, that's reflected in the brilliance of the wrong earth with your, your different characters. And you show those, the visual aspects and how they change and how they get darker and like what aspects are, are, are more hidden. And it's just this brilliant stuff. I appreciate that. Thank you. I love working on that book. It's one of my favorite things ever. And Jamal Eigel has brought so much to it creatively. I hope people know that. I mean, um, it was his idea to use dragonflies, for instance. Okay. It would not have come out half as well if he hadn't been involved. And he really does such a great job of capturing both, you know, the Silver Age essence of those characters versus the modern grim and gritty, like, post-1986 comic book yep. worlds. So when you were populating those two universes, uh, to talk a little bit more about that, how did you come up with the the bad guy? And I, I think it's amazing how, like, the the dragonfly character goes back spoiler alert he goes back they, they swap places and they do fairly well because they're they're both fairly competent people and and they mm -hmm. they figure out their the each other's universes but basically the bad guy from the silver age universe gets to the gritty and is immediately dispatched like with no question like was that yeah, i think uh, they find him uh, in a garbage can if i remember right yeah <laughs> So how, how did that like? How did the thought process of the bad guys, especially like Deuce, who ends up being a very, a very, very interesting character from that universe, and taking no guff from anybody, uh, if filling in those those gaps in the universe? How do you go about something like that? Well, the, the villain's name is Number One, and mm -hmm. for some reason, something was happening in the world that made me very interested in narcissism. I can't imagine. <laughs> So it was kind of like my way of working out some problems with that <laughs> to center a character on narcissism. And, but it's also a great contrast from the selflessness of the heroes, you know. As far as Deuce is concerned, um, who ends up being Lady Dragonfly Man as the series progresses, mm -hmm. but, um, 
She's totally from the Batman TV show, I will confess, because not only did they have Catwoman, but they had every villain had like a mom. Yeah. It's always a woman who like the Joker was apparently dating for this episode who would be there and, and be part of the criminal scheme. And so it really felt like we needed a character like that, but one who would advance more into the foreground. Because at first she would be just like a uh, shortchanged by number one's narcissism, but she would have to conquer that. I, I love the scene where she's in court and she convinces the judge, you know, to let her go. And all oh, these guys need to come with me or I'll be all alone. And he turns to him and like, you're my goons now. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I wanted to talk a little bit. The Batman 66 TV show obviously uh, must have made a huge impression on you as it did for me growing up but I, I can tell how you at least from my perspective it, it seems as though you really respect the the fun and the spirit of that show in a way that not a lot of comic creators i think always get what specifically made that batman 66 ethos so wonderful as opposed to you know how you balance that with all the modern grim and gritty stuff it was a wonderful show it was so entertaining and so funny and what it doesn't get credit for it was really anti-authority in a way that most television wasn't back then. But everyone in a position of authority in in that show is markedly inferior to Batman, and they know it. And pretty, they tend to be pretty incompetent generally. So if you if you combine that with the sort of like aggressive art direction, the way the show looked, it's a really sixties show. Yeah in a way that I think it doesn't really get a lot of credit for. But um, right, it's very artful. also just so funny and so entertaining and so well-performed. I get a sick amount of pleasure out of watching Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Gordon. I think he's <laughs> so funny all the time. And he's probably the most gifted comedian on the show, except Adam West is brilliant, of course. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I just love it. I pr- I didn't love it when I first saw it. I was 12 years old. And okay. uh, I thought they might be making fun of Batman. I just, I remember just, I snapped. I just turned a switch in my head. It's like, this is Batman on TV. This is never going to happen again in my lifetime. I'm going to enjoy this. I just brainwashed myself into liking it like a Trump voter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think they had me the very first episode with the Riddler and uh, his one of his goons is the girl who dresses up like Robin in one scene. They show her and then she like shakes her head. Then all of a sudden it's uh, Burt Ward. Burt Ward. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, just oh, the man. absurdity of that camera switch. Like I was like, no, this is for me. Is that is that the same episode where Batman goes to the bar and he's like, yes. he's at the bar yeah. and he's like, I'll have a glass of milk or is that? Absolutely. Oh, man. See, it doesn't get it doesn't get as much credit as things like another great show from that era is the the Avengers and 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 everyone's like oh the Avengers is so cool and all this other stuff but Batman was cool too like in its own way and so really cool and I'm glad that you kind of weave all of that into the Wrong Earth honestly like my one of my favorite scenes in the Wrong Earth is when all the other baddies from the Silver Age universe Society of Evil or whatever they put them in the big what is it, oh, the piggy, piggy bank, bank or something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he, he very easily gets out of it and just goes, what are you people doing with your lives? Like, what, are you, what, are you, what was the purpose of this? Like, do you have a purpose? And then they all existentially, like, start questioning, yeah, well, well maybe he's right. Like, maybe we should do something else. And I love, too, like, it's not malice. Like, even in the criminals, like, there's a, there's a wholesomeness there. Like you juxtapose uh, the banker and the police commissioner between the two earths. And in the one, you know, there are all these terrible things that they had done. And then meanwhile, in the 60s universe, like they're just there. They just want, you know, Dragonfly Man to solve their crimes. (laughs) Yeah. It's more like a game. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There, there isn't that, that maliciousness that, you know, you see so often in the, in the modern books. There's a certain purity to it. Right. I just, I I love. I don't want you to think I'm taking, sides in the wrong earth i mean both approaches have very good things about them right you are very fair to both sides and again part of the best thing about this book if you haven't read it because dragonfly man is so competent he's just able to go to a different universe and just adapt to those rules and actually not only adapt but thrive it's almost like 
this other universe was kind of waiting for a character kind of like that and and how those those opposites kind of attract in those in those different universes so did that thought process come in, into play when you were like wow like the 60s silver age character would actually do really well dragonfly man has rough moments he does he does kind of bottom out in, in the middle of the first series right. there and but, but he, he figures it out yeah. he figures it out he figures it out he he sort of he gets extremely depressed and then cheers himself up by beating up a bunch of bad guys. <laughs> and as one does. Fine. And um, I love the sound effects as he's beating them up. And it's like you can tell he's in his element. Like oh, that's right. He's saying the sound effects. Yeah. Right. Dragonfly can't believe his luck in a way. He's gone to this place where the like the danger is so much less. And the, <laughs> the cops are some are, are don't seem to be crooked at all. He really I think he really learns to enjoy the place. Oh yeah, it's like a it's like a vacation for him. And yeah. there's that chilling scene at the end of the of book one, where basically you know those same stooge crooks, bad guys that show up and try to ruin him, you know, some sort of press conference or something, and they're actually about to kill his sidekick, like or hit him with a hammer at least. And he's like, "Oh no, no, no! This is getting out too serious." <laughs> The 86 is the guy because he's just like, no, like I I'm all about playing this game, but the moment you're actually going to get serious about this stuff, no, like I'm I'm gonna tramp this down. Partner's like, but Dragonfly Man, you killed that guy. And he's like, No, I, I sent him to witness protection. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. that's all a ruse. I'm like, oh I love this. Yeah, he'll he'll get away with what he can when no one's looking. <laughs> right. So yeah, we're huge fans of Wrong Earth, and again, that was one of the that was one of the first comic books that Ahoy came out with, correct? Like that, that was, was the first one, yeah, okay. the, the very first. And uh, I guess that's my my where I want to pivot to is here. You are working for DC Marvel, a, a journeyman working in comics for many many years. What brought you to Ahoy? Like why why Ahoy? Like what did you want to do? Um, what were you trying to do different? I guess. Well, here in uh, Syracuse, New York. Two very, very good friends of mine that I've been friends with for decades. Uh, they both worked for the local daily paper. And as you know, the most people who did don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law just he was fortunate to retire from the newspaper business, but he had yeah, a lot of friends yeah. that didn't get that opportunity. Hart Seeley was a reporter. Frank Camuso was their editorial cartoonist, brilliant cartoonist. They um were rooting around for something to do. Hart found some sources of money to start something. Hart read comics when he was a kid. He can talk to you about The Flash. <laughs> but uh, he um, wasn't really a comic book person in adult life. Frank and I were total comic book beasts. It was So it was Hart's idea to start a comic book company, the three of us. So in our ignorance, we did. <laughs> With absolutely no inkling of how hard it would be. But we're wow. glad we did it. And you're coming up on your five-year anniversary. Like these have been a very interesting five years. What's it been like navigating the waters through all of the craziness that's going on in the world and the publishing industry? Oh, yeah. And yeah, the pandemic was a huge one. We actually had to stop publishing for a few months because everybody had to stop publishing because there was no distributor. Right. I had a comic shop near me that stayed open and it was like going to a speakeasy. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah not three times what's the password it was yeah well for a while it was very good for retail stores because people weren't going to conventions so they would sort of spend some of that money at the comic book store has that uh, spilled over is the do you still have the people hooked that are coming back to hoy books that started picking them up during the pandemic or it's very difficult from where i sit to know who's picking it up and why <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and if they did last month or if it's a different person it's uh I, I have absolutely no no information about that no way to get it <laughs> all right so but you do have as we mentioned earlier an incredible roster of creative folks that work mm. that have put out books through ahoy what would you say to comic creators that are looking for an outlet to get their work out there why should they go ahoy 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 we look for ideas that have some depth to them but when you hear them, they you can see kind of why they're funny, too. Okay. Humor is very important to us. I don't know if it really comes across that well, but every single Ahoy comic 
is trying to be funny on some level. They're not all comedies, but you can't show me one that takes itself entirely seriously. And that's oh, really yeah. deliberate. We want everything to be at least a little funny. Right. As a Mark um, Russell fan, like he has that satire, that oh. social satire that is just brilliant. Yeah. And he brings it 17 different ways through my bad or second coming where he's right. taking on religion or billionaire Island, all the wealth and equality and all that other stuff. Right. Oh, like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if you'll, but I, I, I feel sometimes like Ahoy is kind of like the modern day EC comics, in which basically, you know, you're out there Thank you. Uh, putting out titles that, Sure, they may have science fiction on the cover or they might have horror on the cover, but like, for example, like they like to do in every single sci-fi, they always put that twist in. They always try to put that social commentary in. They always try to put something that went, oh, okay, I see what they're doing here. And and that kind of wink and nod to those longtime fans. So like, again, kudos to you for, for, you. for kind of filling that hole because- uh, like EC Comics uh, back in the day, like it's important that independent comic book companies and just comic book companies in general have an outlet where, again, you may be getting something because of superheroes, but you're getting a little bit more because of the uh, creative input of uh, folks like you, Tom. I could listen to you talk about me all day. <laughs> and you have. That is true. So let's real quickly, let's wrap up by saying uh, for the five year uh, anniversary that's coming up this September, October, what comic books are coming out from Ahoy in the next couple of months that you might want to kind of just plug a little bit so that folks know uh, to pick them up? Well, as far as the fifth anniversary goes, we're going to be announcing some titles and specials soon project cryptid is setting it off and that's our new anthology edited by sarah lit and just with the greatest creators like mark and paul cornell and it's it's what it sounds like is an anthology of like characters like bigfoot and the jersey devil and all the stuff that you either can believe in or don't but we're also kicking off the um fifth anniversary with with something stuart moore has organized and it's uh it's really great. It's a 13-part, I think, round-robin prose story. It's okay. going to be Chapter one is by Grant Morrison, and it's going to be in Project Cryptid number one. Wow. And then we'll take it through 12 more chapters by 12 different writers. And at the end, we'll see if it makes any sense at all. And I read the first chapter, and it doesn't. Believe me. <laughs> it's great. The first chapter doesn't make sense. You think you got to lay no, the foundation? Not at all. None at all, but it's terrific. It's a beautifully terrific, absurd piece of writing by Grant. And, That's uh, awesome. So is it, you know, the the writer writes you into a corner and the next guy has to pick it up and has to pick it up. Ah. Pants. Yep, absolutely. The, we love uh, those books. They've been doing that on Daredevil for a really long time. <laughs> like they'll just <laughs> they'll just be like, hey, I'm gonna kill off Daredevil or put him in jail or whatever. Yeah, you can figure it out from there. It's amazing how the the next writer's like, okay. Oh, you, you, oh, you think you're painting me into a corner? No, no, no. You see what I'm going to do. So I like that <laughs> approach. It's challenging. It's challenging as a. I want to, I want to mention the artist, John Crocker too. He's mm -hmm. wonderful and underrated and not famous enough. And he's doing illustrations for all of these um, wow. that are just eyeball blasting. Very cool. Like half page illustrations or like full page. Well, depending on the size of the, the size always depends on the word count. It can, mm -hmm. it can vary. Okay. I was just curious because the, yeah. that, that's, the, I will say that when there were those prose things, I did look at the illustrations because it was still a comic book. So like, <laughs> we have good, I was always like looking for the next picture. We have good, uh, good pictures on those. Oh, you a really nice do. bunch of, we get to work with Rick Geary, who I worship. I don't know if you remember him from National Lampoon Days. Yes. Yes, I do. He's amazing. And um, there's a lot of good stuff there. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the last comic shop, Tom. Where can everybody find Ahoy Comics? Like, and not only in your shops, but like social media wise, where can folks find Ahoy Comics? Well, if you go to Evil Twitter, we're at Ahoy Comic Mags, and I'm at Tom Pyre. We can just sort of huddle there against the onslaught of <laughs> there you go people who want to destroy us. We yeah. certainly do at the last comic shop. So again, Tom, thank you so much for taking some time with us today and, and stopping by the shop. We hope to have you back soon. 
talk about some of these projects that are coming up. And again, folks that are out there, make sure that you, if you see a Hoy on the cover, that you're picking it up because that is a fantastic comic book company. And we love so much great work that comes out of them uh, that we're fans and we'll be fans for years to come. So thank you again, Tom. And thank you. Uh, Thanks so much for coming by. And yeah, there's five years worth of back catalog from Ahoy Comics. There's so many great books in there. You could start with The Wrong Earth. You could go Second Coming. You could, if you, like Andy was saying, if you bronze, see Ahoy. What's Bronze Age? Bronze Age Boogie. Oh, Bronze Age Boogie. Yes. That's a great that book. book. is nuts. That got me from the cover. I was just like, what is going on here? I have to get this. <laughs> you know what I think? This world we're in right now is the fairy tale. And what's really real is on the other side. Ramsey, mechanic by day, aspiring comic book creator by night, went into the woods and tripped. He was bombarded by bizarre and mysterious glyphs that he drew into his sketch pad and onto the body of his muse, Regina. Oh, Groovy, your art is crawling all over me. Shit, what is going on with you? What's going on with you? All of a sudden, you're a complete drip, baby. Maybe you need another limb to the head! Bloom, written and created by Ted Sikora, with art by Butch Mappa. How are you feeling, Grand Man? You've never experienced a story so astonishing, so far out and away from the beaten path. Where in the Blast off with Blue, the origin of a prophet. Order yours at HeroTomorrow.com. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. And thank you so much to Tom Pyre for uh, being on our show. And uh, speaking of great comic books, like the ones that Tom Pyre has been responsible for over the years, it's now time for recommendations. Yes, that time of every single show where we give you other comic books in addition to The Wrong Earth, which we hope that you pick up based on not only our glowing recommendation in the previous segment, but also the fact that Tom Pyre is a great guy and you should support Ahoy Comics wherever you can find them. So, yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and start off with J.A. Scott this week. So, J.A., what is your recommendation for this week? I am recommending a very interesting run on Silver Surfer by George Perez writing with pencils by Tom Grinberg and inks by Bill Anderson. It is called the Unilord Saga. It ran from Silver Surfer 111 through Silver Surfer 121. Basically, George Perez took over the book for a year, and this was the major storyline that he did. Silver Surfer crosses over into another dimension to save this other complete universe that's being taken over by this dark lord who's kind of like Galactus. He comes down and he absorbs uh, an entire species except for one person who gets absorbed into this mass consciousness. And uh, throughout the story, Norrin Rad is absorbed, but the Silver Surfer part of him breaks away. And so Norrin Rad is part of this mass consciousness, but he's trying to fight from the inside while the Silver Surfer, the body is chopped up into 12 pieces and given out to 12 different people who then become Silver Surfers. Oh, and that's there's cool. like 12 different Silver and they're all these weird creatures. Like there's this thing that kind of looks like a giant gumdrop and there's a little insect Silver Surfer and there's a crab woman Silver Surfer who's a princess in her land. And it's just George Perez playing with toys. It's almost like an, Elseworld story since it's set outside of the Marvel continuity in the Marvel 616 uh, but you get some great Silver Surfer in there and it was a real fresh take on the book because we had had a long run with Ron Mars and Ron Lim and then they had some sort of filler issues in and this was uh, George Perez taking over and kind of putting his stamp on the Silver Surfer for a year so I recommend it's called the Uni Lord Saga again Silver Surfer Volume 3 ran from issues 111 to 121. There you go. And that is a kind of like a part of the Silver Surfer run that that volume three, which kind of everybody that grew up in the 80s and the 90s knows about. But it was like it was, again, post Ron Lim. So 
some folks fell off the book, so they may not have been buying it. So they might not be aware that there was that kind of cool year-long storyline with multiple Silver Surfer people. That's that's still a neat concept. I love that. All right, Chad, what was your recommendation this week? Okay, since we just had Tom Pyre on, which, by the way, if you are a Batman 66 fan, you need to be checking out The Wrong Earth. That series was delightful. But uh, I thought I would celebrate Ahoy by recommending the first book that uh, really caught my attention from Ahoy. Uh, and it's been continuing in various formats uh, over these last couple of years. But it's Second Coming by Mark Russell with art by Richard Pace and Leonard Kirk. Where basically uh, God is sending Jesus back for his second go-round. But he's decided he needs uh, needs some guidance. He needs somebody to show him, you know how things really work. And so he sends him down with a Superman analog named Sunstar and uh, hilarity ensues. And so you guys know, I'm a big Mark Russell fan. Uh, we had a chance to talk to him a little bit ago. I didn't get into his theological background, which I regret, but uh, all of that comes into play in the second coming series. The satire is sharp and bludgeoning at times when it needs to be, but the jokes are great and the message is on point. And it really is one of those comics that, you know, it, it makes you think and makes you appreciate the fact that there are comic books like that out there. And there are companies like Ahoy that are willing to take a chance on this book that was going to be vertigo but because the controversies, it got scuttled elsewhere and, you know, Ahoy came in and, and made it happen. Then it's continuing, like I said, to make that happen as well as other great books. So yeah, second coming, Check out the three volumes there. Check out the rest of the Ahoy libraries. They're celebrating their anniversary. You know, thanks again to Tom Pyre. It was, it was great fun. All right. And my recommendation goes hand in hand with the other topic that we had on today's program, which is the Eisner Awards. And every single time I think of the Eisner Awards, I think back to when I was, you know, growing up and, and, and the, those kind of books that first made me aware of the the Eisner Awards and, and what a prestigious honor that was. And one of those series is that won a lot of Eisner Awards back in the day was Astro City by Kurt Busick, Brett Anderson, and Alex Ross. And one of the first books that really captured my imagination when it came to Astro City uh, was a book called Confession which is really, in essence, a portmanteau, which uh, is just a fancy way of saying that they rearrange all the faces and give them all another name. The Confessor is the Batman of the Astro City universe, uh, a dark Avenger of the night. And uh, as he takes a new sidekick, who is your audience surrogate throughout the entire story, that audience surrogate, that Robin-type character, finds that this hero is truly a dark, dark character and has some secrets that he would rather keep from the general public. At the same time, uh, there are aliens trying to take over the world. And again, if you've never read any Astro City, some folks may think it's just like, hey, you could tell these same stories with the Avengers or Superman or Batman or whatever. But really, Kurt was able to take all of that great continuity that came from DC and Marvel and just get to the core of why these characters are engaging, why these characters are great, put them all in the same universe and tell fantastic stories. So uh, if you've never read any Astro City, I think that Confession is a really good place to start. And not only is it a great story, but it also won the Eisner Award for Best Serialized Story in 1998. So it's got some pedigree behind it as well. In any case, some pedigree that we hope that you take advantage of every single week is our episodes of The Last Comic Shop. We think we're a fantastic comic book podcast, and we hope that you come back for more episodes in the next couple of weeks. Because we've got some great ones lined up for you. Not only do we have some movie reviews slash comic book reviews such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem and the Blue Beetle movie but we've got some great interviews with some Eisner Award winning writers and artists such as P. Craig Russell in an upcoming episode A Whole Hour with Roy Thomas so make sure that you rate, reviewing and subscribing to our fantastic podcast so you don't miss any of the rest of the summer
Uh, we also love talking about the Eisners, and we love recommending other books, including Silver Surfer, the Uni Lord Saga, featuring writing by George Perez. That was issues 111 to 121 out of volume three. Or you could check out Second Coming by Mark Russell, Leonard Kirk, and Richard Pace. Uh, that is a, an Ahoy book out there. Or you could go back to the early uh, Astro City days and check out Confessions. Uh, all that and more is available at your local comic shop. Don't know where they are? Check out the comic shop locator www.comicshoplocator.com. And if you want more coverage of comic books and all things comic related, you can always check out our website. We've got links to all our social media. We have polls on Twitter. Got uh, Golden Age comic book covers to tuck you into bed at night. Always links to our merch store. If you've got a friend or fan in the house that loves comics, buy him a t-shirt, buy him a hat, buy him a tote bag. So the next time he's at a con, he's got something to put all those back issues in. All that can be found, of course, at our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Not to be confused with The Last Comic Shop, which is actually a comic shop. We're just a podcast. <laughs> Sometimes we get uh, people reaching out. What are your hours? Are you open today? We are not that. <laughs> We're always shop. open, baby. That's right. We're always open on and the And we hope you come back to The Last Comic Shop next week. We're going to be reviewing Infinity Gauntlet, which... Again, it's a very popular book, so make sure that you're just tuning in for that awesome review. Until then, I was those. Hey, the most look, of- Jay's got the glove. Jay, what are you doing with that glove? Jay, don't snap! Don't <laughs> Why did you snap away, Chad? Uh, what? Uh, this is those with most any lawyers. I was joined by Chad Smith. Where uh, he's somewhere, and Jay Scott. Oh boy, I hope that Chad appears for next week. Maybe we can get Mikey Wood. I don't know. Until then, stay safe, stay cool, and remember: best thing that you can call a boat that has a hole in the bottom of it is a sink. <laughs> I could snap away those jokes. production.